Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the February 2015 edition of the Fantasy Book Club. This evening, we will be discussing The Anvil of Ice by Michael Scott Rohan. It's the first in a trilogy. There are two trilogies, and oh dear, I seem to have forgotten the name of the trilogy. Um, but apparently, some people think that the second trilogy is not as good as the first, but I haven't gotten through the first or the second, so I can't verify whether I believe that is correct. But as far as the first book goes, I really like the book. As Lana pointed out in her email to the list, the um, the main character goes through some changes and grows towards his true potential. The plot moved along very nicely. There were um, well-developed, well-rounded characters, and I've already started reading the sequel, so I will probably complete the first trilogy. Um, what did everybody else think of this month's selection? Well, I liked it. I agree with you. The plot moved along nicely. Um, I actually read it on Bard and in Braille on um, Bookshare. And I like the narrator. The narrator really made this book. He really did. I don't remember who it was, but he was good. Um, I liked the way things were described. Um, the songs and the way the boy grew. Um... It was interesting because I sure didn't catch that twist with the smith, with the master smith, until later on. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's evil. But I didn't, I didn't see that at the very beginning. Well, I had once I, I started to read this book late and realized I'd read it before, so I skipped ahead to the end, and I must have quit in the middle. So I don't really have an opinion. I may go back and try and reread it again. I think the part I, the parts I liked really was, and at first I didn't, but I love the travel. I love the the description of the you know the the trees and the forest and the that part, and then I love their um, their battles and their ship battles and their land battles and. Um, like, like you said, in the Julia, the characters were great. Well, I read this some time back, and I remember writing a very enthusiastic review of all three books for the DB review list. This was like a year ago or so. Um, and I remember really liking this thing and really... I think what struck me was the unique way he thinks of and uses magic in this series that that really um, impressed me. So that's that's my comment for the moment. Hello, Lana. Hi. I tried coming in on Internet Explorer. Maybe I won't get cut off every five minutes this time. Um, I liked the way he he knew everything. Uh, he obviously knew a lot about smithing. 
I don't know how much he made up and how much he didn't. And I'd love to know, as a sighted person, how many of those effects of light on, on the iron and the, the different shades of the metal. Now, I know some of them were due to magic, but I would, I would love to know just how real some of those descriptions were because they were so vivid. He also knew a heck of a lot about ships and sailing and how to handle them and what would happen if this happened to a sail or that happened to a sweep or boards cracking. And uh, he, he just really knew his stuff. He didn't just throw it. A lot of, I think a lot of today's fantasy writers, and I'm a little bit guilty of the same thing, throw in some fairies and elves and and, um, swords and castles, and you're supposed to know where you are. I agree with you. He did seem to have done his research well. Also, this book kind of reminded me of The Hobbit, in a way, in the travel aspect of it, and also... Um. Uh, the the sort of Shannara series, because I like the way, like I said, I like the way he he described the songs. It kind of reminded me of Druid, Druids, but not quite. Well, let's face it, Kermavon was Aragorn. I mean, there's just no way around it. Absolutely, <laughs> and he was great too. I'm gonna have to reread it because. I don't remember a lot about it, but I do. Um, I do remember, you know, the the bit about the Smith and the Smith being evil and his going away because the Smith was evil and so forth. Um, that I remember vividly, and um, I remember liking the book very much. And, you know, because I wouldn't have written a review of it for DB Review if I hadn't. But uh, I, I liked it very much. Um, my problem now is that I don't remember all the details in the book. Because it's been like over a year and I don't, I don't remember the details. But, um, you know, I do, re- I do remember, you know, the major parts. And uh, I do remember the the huge battle scene or whatever at the end of the third book. I remember that too, but that's that's neither here nor there because it doesn't concern this particular discussion. So, anyway, I have a question though. If anybody can remember the ending, it said something like his wounds. Everybody stared. As his wounds closed up and he became a master smith or something, did I miss something there? I think, and and he didn't explain it very well. My theory was, you know, he said the sword for the mind was not a sword for the body. And so when he destroyed the sword, I'm thinking that the effects created by that sword were undone but no he well and in the third book you kind of find out you know he's not quite one of us uh, not to give too much away but uh, there was uh, I, I think it was because it was a sort of magic that he had created and he destroyed it and turned it back on itself that the wounds healed but that was not well explained I, I agree with you another thing is I read this back in the late 80s or early 90s when it first came out and there wasn't that much fantasy out there. 
And this was just kind of a wow discovery kind of thing. You know, fantasy is a dime a dozen now if you're on Bookshare. But this was just a real discovery. That makes sense. And that's kind of what I was thinking, but I wasn't sure. I was like, okay, did I miss something? Or, yeah, I think you're right. I think I like your theory. You didn't miss it, but it wasn't clearly put. I thought the swans healed him, so I'm glad you straightened me out on that one. Well, no, remember who the swans are. She couldn't do anything, and Louie certainly wouldn't have wanted to heal him because she wants, she'll want revenge uh, because uh, he spoiled her plans. Oh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Don't read books when you're tired. No, then you dream them. <laughs> um, I actually thought for a while that she was, that Kara or Kara was was evil. But then I realized at the end, of course, that she's not, or at least I hope she isn't. It doesn't seem like it. Um, that was cool, the arm ring thing. You kind of had the arm ring warring against, against her leg cuffs. The two influences are battling for control of her soul, you might say. I remember now, yes, that was cool about the arm ring. And, um, yeah, very cool. Um, and there's more about the swans later, but uh, we shall not give spoilers that's the thing when you read like different books of a series it's hard to sometimes for me it's hard to not get them mixed up and say oh well don't you remember this happened i didn't read the other books by the way so i don't know anything but it's it's, you know i can see i sometimes oh well this happened oh wait a minute that wasn't that book that was that book i will say that the second book is hard to take um, the first part of the second book, and remember they go through a part of the old forest in this book, uh, and, and he made it relevant because of the cedar branch, but it really was a foreshadowing of the second book. And when you read the second book, that part is awful to get, get through. But once you get through that part, the second book is really good, and of course the third book is kind of amazing. Cool. Um the narrator changes, though, so I just remembered why I haven't finished the second book. I don't like the bard narrator, but that's another story. You did, did you like the first bard narrator? Yeah, yeah, the first book was narrated wonderfully, but I guess they said that uh, his name was Randy Weeks. He wasn't available, and they had some other person narrating it, and I just don't like it. Try to stick with it. It's worth it. If you can get through that first half of the book, get them out of the forest. Uh, it's really good, and you need the second to read the third, and the third is really good. I, I, re- I really recommend it. Of course, sometimes if you don't like a reader, there's nothing that can be done about it. But try it. It's, it's um, Part of it, remember, if you're in the second book, you're getting everybody killed by monsters. And that gets a little tiresome after a while, but, but it gets better later. I promise you. Well. Wow. As far as the narrators go, I remember, um, now that you mention it, that the narrator had switched. And, of course, what, what bothers me when NLS switches narrators, and I wish and wish and wish they would not do this, is, especially with fantasy books, because you've got these odd names, you know, that these authors come up with, 
and um, you know the the first narrator gets you started on the book, and you're used to hearing the names of the characters in a certain way, the way that particular narrator stresses the syllables and and uh, so forth, like. Um, Oh, well, what I'm thinking of is Legolas in the, the Tolkien instead of Legolas. Um, you know, so um, it, it, it is difficult when a new narrator comes on and pronounces everything differently. Pronounces all the names differently, all the place names and all the character names, and you're going, wait a minute, what book is this? Oh, uh, I think I may have to. Yeah, I have to answer this. I was one of my students. That kind of reminds me of the Wheel of Time series. I love that first narrator. He was great. And then Dan said, um, I won't mention the other narrator's name, but he came on and he pronounced things differently. It's like, ah! And he made the characters different, too. He wasn't bad, but ah, the mispronunciations are, well, I guess they're his, but anyway. I don't think there's anything set, but if you're referring to John Barrow was the first narrator, Roy Avers was the second, and John Polk finished a lot. I think the worst case was in the Terry Goodkind series, where uh, in the first four or five books, the reader gave the the bad guys, the Daharans, a Russian accent. <laughs> and then the next reader came along and didn't. And it was really, because by that time they were allies, and it was really funny to have that happen. It's too bad on this series, I don't believe they're on Bookshare. Because if you couldn't stand the reader, you could get it on Bookshare. And then you would, you'd still have to get used to different name pronunciations, but you wouldn't have to worry about, um, about the reader that you didn't like. But I don't believe he's on Bookshare. Well, actually, the Terry Goodkind series is also on Audible, and there are different readers for it. And if I remember rightly, and I do remember rightly, I think um, Nick Sullivan read up to the uh, 11th book, and then it was taken over by somebody else. But I like Nick Sullivan. Actually, The Anvil of Ice is on Bookshare. I don't know about the others, but I know that one was, because that's how I read it. I liked the reader for the last uh, Terry Goodkind books. I like Sam Unpronounceable. Uh, <laughs> because, of course, I like British readers anyway. But I thought he did such a good job of handling the characters. I, I enjoyed him. The thing of Sam Suvis. Yeah, by the way, um, I can tell you for a fact that at Bookshare, there are six books in the series by Michael Scott Rowan. And the Library of Congress has recorded three of them, and Bookshare has all of the books in that series. Because um, I was able to get some of them from Amazon.co.uk. And they, darling folks at Bookshare, put it up so that anybody could read the rest of the series. So there's actually six books in the series by Rohan, and you can get them all at Bookshare. 
thank you. I haven't looked for him for a very long time in the author search. And so I just hadn't hadn't looked it up. That would be that would be cool, particularly on the iPhone. If you get a good one of the good strong male voices reading it, wow! I don't have an eye device. In case you're curious who this is, this is Kim Friedman, and I'm late to the discussion. I'm afraid you're here. That counts. And welcome to the group. I'm Lana Van Horn, and uh, that was Ann Parsons. It was there a few minutes. Of course, you know Julie, who's the narrator of the group. And so we're glad to have you join us. Well, I know you, Lana, because we're fellow Booksharians. At least I still am. So am I. I we, we both pop up. I knew I'd seen your name on either the Bookshare site or the Bard site, one of the other. And... Um, I'll tell you, with this new stream, I'm just going crazy on Bookshare. It's just my pile of needs to be read, but I couldn't let it get by from the new books list. It's just getting bigger and bigger. I should also tell you, which is not exactly apropos to the discussion, is that I'm proofreading a book, the 12th book in the Burn Mystery series by um, Cora Harrison. I don't know if you've read this series, but... Lissy proofread the first book, and I've proofread all the subsequent books. And the last book, I proofread Cold White Fury is in the collection. And that was a hard book for me to read because the writing was really, really intense. But unfortunately, they're not fantasies. They're mysteries. More in Anne's purview than this discussion, I'd say. Well, like I said, I read it on Bard, and I read it on Bookshare. Um because I read it on Bookshare in Braille, and it was very, very well written. Whoever um, submitted it and proofread it, read it, ah, proofread it, did a good job. <laughs> well, I can definitely tell you, I read the first three books in the series on um, when they were on cassette, and each one had a different reader. Oh my gosh, did they switch again in book number three? Yes, I think they did. I think book three was read by James DeLotel, and I think, I can't recall who read the first one. It may have been Michael Scher, and I don't know who read book two, but I can find out if you like. I don't really keep track of the guys. Randy Weeks read book one, and I can't remember who read book two. Well, I can find out. If it's James DeLotel, he's not bad. He's actually pretty good at reading fantasy. I read, um... I don't know if you guys would consider this fantasy, but um, I read The Watchers by Dean Koontz, and uh, I think he read that one, and it was pretty good. Well, I know we definitely read some science fiction, science fiction by uh, C.J. Cherry, and uh, I talked to him, and I think he liked reading science fiction when I conversed with him. Cool. I guess I'm glad number two. Two narrator doesn't read book number three. Do you guys know what an anvil looks like? I've always wondered that. You know, they say the anvil of ice. And, you know, there was anvils in the Wheel of Time, too, because Perrin Ibarra was a smith, a blacksmith. And I've always wondered what an anvil looks like. I don't know, but I think what I get the impression is that an anvil is sort of like a iron ring-like object. Uh, but I'm not sure. I have never seen one. 
I know that there's, yeah, uh, you know, a stone and there's an anvil where the, the blacksmith will use his hammer to deal with metal on an anvil, you know, to cool it down and to shape it. But I've, I've never seen an anvil myself, but I sort of imagine it as some sort of like, kind of like a ring-like thing or a round thing, but I don't know. I've never seen one either. I've seen one. Um, starting at one end, it's square with a flat surface, and then, and that goes along for a while. And then at some point, it actually changes to a cone um, that tapers down, and then there are a couple of vertical holes drilled down through the surface. Um, and the way the reason it's shaped that way is so that if you're working on something that needs to be flat, you use the flat part. If you need to bend the metal, you use the uh, or shape a curve. You use the round part, and then the holes are for putting in pieces of metal that you need to bend to like a right angle. Sorry, I can't give you a better description, but it's not a real shape. Then the the, the bottom is has a is usually bolted to something um, like a. Well, I guess a stump in the case of a most of the books we deal with. So, I'm imagining a platform at one end and a bell kind of shape at the other. Would that be accurate? Well, I would guess you don't want it to move on you when you're working on a piece, or would you? You want it to stay steady. I guess the farrier's anvil might be different, though, because he has to move around a bit, but I don't know. No, I don't think a farrier's would be any different. Um, you've, uh, you've got a good idea. It's a, If you kind of think, take a, oh, a, a, a rectangular solid, and then... To one end of the rectangular solid, glue a cone with the narrow end pointing away from the rectangular solid, and then both both pieces are connected on a base uh, that's bolted to something. I hope that makes some kind of sense. I would think it would have to be really, really stable. <laughs> you want that to stay absolutely where it is. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be something you could portable around. Oh, they had portable anvils, um, but they—they they, I guess they bolted them to like tree stumps or something, because you really don't want it moving while you're ba- banging on hot metal. Well, then there must be a device to make it be bolted to whatever it is you're going to use it for. I think so. Um, I'm coming in in the middle of this. I'm going to be leaving in a second I am trying to schedule an appointment with a lady who is deaf and I'm working with a video phone interpreter and she's going to try to uh, the student is going to try to call me back because the interpreter was having difficulty with her video phone so 
If I drop out of here, um, please understand, I don't usually do this, but I've been trying to get a hold of this student for days. And if I don't catch her now, you know, I will, I will, um, I won't catch her. So if I have to leave in a minute, that's what's going on here. And don't they still have that relay service? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm working with. But now it's gotten high tech and it's not just, uh, you know, uh, phones that, that are sound phones, it's video phones. And, you know, they, the, the interpreter sits there and signs to the person who's on the other end of the video phone, and they are signing, and there's my telephone. So I got to go. Bye. Have a good evening. Marshall, that was a great description. Thank you. Well, my grandfather actually had one um, because he liked to putter around. Uh, But it's, you know, I think they had all sizes of them from, from big ones that couldn't be moved to relatively small ones for shoeing horses and such not. Um, and about the color, I, I don't know, I, since it's been a long time since I read this book, somebody talked about the color of the metal. Um, it actually does change color even when it's not glowing hot. Um, and you can tell things about how the metal, what the what the structure of the molecules in the metal are doing from the color. I hate to use this analogy, but you know, it's like when you're making fudge, you have to have it at a certain degree so the crystallization is okay. And, you know, candy changes as it cools. So it stands to reason if you're heating anything like metal, it's going to change and you can... Uh, a smith can observe the changes in the metal and know what to do at whatever stage the metal is at and how to work it, I would think. Crappy analogy, I'm sorry. No, actually, it's good. It kind of goes along with pottery. No, that's exactly what's happening. It's how the crystals are forming inside the metal um, as it cools and heats up again. or you know, Because a lot of times they don't do all of the operations at once. They'll do something and then let the metal cool for a bit and then heat it up again and then do something and let the metal cool. And So it, it really is fascinating um, to do it. Well, you know the thing that is fascinating about Rohan's book is that it is set in the place that one ordinarily doesn't see. It's sort of like um, gets the feel of the Icelandic sagas or Norway, and it you get the feel that it's a little bit grimmer, a little bit darker. There isn't that brightness of the Celtic uh, influence in the fantasy, if I can use the term. So it was interesting for me when I read it. Is anybody there? 
I got, I'm getting cut off again. Here we are, and we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you fine, Lena. Can you hear us? Yep. It's probably the room. It does that to certain people. It kind of picks and chooses, I think. Yeah, Lena seems to have a lot of problems with this room. I was hoping Internet Explorer would work better for her, but hopefully she'll be able to stick around. I, uh, I apparently in and out. It's not as bad as it used to be with uh, Firefox. Um, I, just sometimes you get cut off in the middle of saying something, or I'll hold it down and I won't hear you, and I won't hear the click that says I'm in. So I just never quite know if I'm in. That's why I went out and came back in. But it's definitely better than it used to be. Do you have an iPhone, Lana? I think you were saying you did. If you do, there's an app called TC Conference. Uh, Tango Charlie Conference, and you can get that, and that might work for you if all else fails. Yeah, but, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell you guys. Bob said the app doesn't work well. I don't know. I haven't tested it, but um, I just should probably pass on that message. I don't know what exactly is wrong with it, but it seemed to look fine. But um, Oh, hey, Lana. Um, Lily, I was just saying that if you have an iPhone... Um, there's an app called TC Conference that you can use, but then Bob said that it doesn't really work well, um, and I neglected to tell everybody that, so I'm not exactly sure where, where that stands. But Well, it, it doesn't work like 100% because sometimes it echoes or buffers a bit, but um, I've used it a couple times. Well, I didn't hear the first time you started to ask, do you have, and you were gone. But I think you were asking about, do I have an iPhone, because of what came, when I came in the second time. It's just in and out. It's just, uh, you know, it's just crazy. I don't know. Are you using Wi-Fi at all? You know, I think the computer, computers like to keep us on our toes. You know, we like to think that everything is going swimmingly, and then all of a sudden, depending on what you have to do, that dear device throws us a Mickey, and then we have to deal with it. You got that right. Because I know sometimes my Wi-Fi is not that good, so I have to hardwire it. And it works a little bit better. What kind of a machine do you have, Lana? What operating system are you running? I've got a um, HP computer. I'm, I'm using IE, whatever the IE version is, I don't know. Uh, Windows 7. And I'm using Window Eyes. Um, is anybody else on the list using Window Eyes? No, I'm using JAWS and I'm running Windows 7 with Internet Explorer 11 and also running Windows 7, but I've got a desktop with a heck of a lot of RAM. The uh, uh, Window Eyes shouldn't have anything to do with it. We get it, or I don't know that I'm not getting it, whatever. Anyway, let's get back to fantasy. I'm trying to think of who my favorite character was. Honestly, it's between the three. Ills, Kermoran, and um, um, Elof slash Elv. And I honestly... I don't know. I guess if I had to make a choice, it would be... I guess Kermoran. But honestly, it would be... All three for different reasons. I don't see any reason why you should have to limit your likes to one character. Hi, folks. I'm finally back. I finally got a, a at least a reasonable date. 
Um, <laughs> can somebody update me as to what we're discussing, please? Um, well, we were talking about anvils, and Marshall described what an anvil looked like because he's actually seen one. And we're ta- we were talking a bit about the physics of working with metal, and I think I made an analogy between that and candy for some reason because of the change of crystallization in the metal. And I think one was talking about which character she liked, and uh, I think that was about it, eh? Great. Thank you so much. I'm sorry for running in and out on you guys, but as I say, I had to get in touch with this person. So, okay, yeah, um, I've seen anvils too. You know, they have a they have a like a point on them, and they're they're kind of rectangular and about waist high, give or take. And uh, I think that there's like a, a vice-like thing you can put you can put um, metal into on on the side of them, but I'm not sure. I'm not really familiar with um, metal working in detail. I mean that much I I know, but um, I don't I don't know the specific details. And somebody was mentioning the colors of the the um, the iron and. Um, I think, if I remember his descriptions, yes, I think that's pretty accurate. Because I've read other people's descriptions of working with metal, and it seems like there's this progression as to how the the iron looks as it's heating up. And, um, it, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a different... Um, you know, it, it goes through a, a different stage of color thing when when it does that. Um, but I don't know much else. I wish I did. I, I really do. I've, I'd like to learn more about that kind of thing. It's like weaving. Um, I'd like to know more about the craft of weaving. I have woven things on a small loom, for instance, but I'd like to know more about how it's done and and all that. Um, I, that you know, that's one of those things that I that I sort of keep in the back of my mind is something I'd like to learn at some point. I'm not terribly crafty, but you know what I also think is interesting is that the smith in a lot of mythologies is extremely important. I know the Celts. And the and the Norse have a smith god like Heimdall is for the Norse and I forget Gulan Sar was for the Celts and I think smithing was ex- is ex- extremely important to a lot of cultures just because of what the, the smith was able to do for the community and that. Well, it, smiths were very important. Um, because a smith would, uh, you know, put the iron around a wooden wagon wheel to make it last longer, more resistant to rocks in the road and such not, make things like hinges, uh, 
pots, um, nails, um, basically anything that was metal, weapons, shields, um, as they got into the metal armor. All of that was done by hand. I think there was also a tradition of laming the smiths also, where some, they would either, you notice some, they had the handcuff or the leg shackles around her, uh, and I won't give away what happens to him in the third book, but I think there is also a tradition of making your smith lame so he doesn't leave the village. Uh, when I was talking about color, I was talking about the color of it once it was done, because some of them were almost described as having a gold sheen to them, and some of them were black. Some of the swords were black, and there were, I think there was a ref- reference to chocolate brown or sort of chocolate, and different colors that you saw in the blade itself. Once it was once it was a once it was a sword, not just during the making. Yeah, well, not only that, but if you consider it, a jeweler would work with metal. You know, like you'd have copper smiths, gold smiths. You know, various sorts smith working with all matter of metal. So that was sort of a uh, it was a specialist sort of a trade, wasn't it? And that's what I liked about this book because. Um, when he was going through his test, the first one was jewelry. The second one was um, um, armory, I think. And the third one was weaponry or something like that. Yeah. And so when he became a journeyman or whatever, he was truly... He 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 could do a lot of stuff. He get, He wasn't just a silversmith or a goldsmith he he could really do a lot of stuff i thought it was interesting that the one smith he met i forgot the guy's name who wouldn't take who said he'd lost his his ability his gift uh had trained a woman and she worked as a jeweler uh and and used her smith talent to make jewelry i thought that was interesting you certainly wouldn't want a great big huge anvil for that but you'd want an anvil yeah i guess you'd want a little tiny one i guess I think one of my other favorite parts was the raven part where he's shoeing the horse and then the guy throws him a coin. I actually thought Kermoran might have been the raven, but because they had a raven banner, so I didn't quite get that. But um, he throws him a coin and he tries to catch it and the ravens take it in their beaks and they lead him a merry chase to who knows where and there goes his journey to life, basically. Yeah, and not only that, but remember what ravens were in regard to not only, uh, um, you know, in, in, in Indian, American Indian mythology as well as Norse mythology, ravens are extremely intelligent birds, and Odin had to rave ravens for thought and memory, and according to the Northwest Indians, raven is a, twi- is a trickster. Uh, so... There's no flies on that bird. I think their intelligence in life, I think some scientist at a college back east um, kind of did nasty things to him or to them in his experiments. And he actually had to start wearing masks around campus because they'd attack him if he was where, if he just had his face on, you know, just wasn't disguising his identity. The ravens or their crows would attack him. Wow. 
Well, I've always known that that ravens and crows are intelligent, and you can. Um, ravens, especially, are like minor birds. They, they will talk if you train them. So, yeah, and uh, you're right about Hunan and Nunan, um, the the uh, Odin's ravens. Yes, um, but the the uh, the Greek. Um, Smith that you're thinking of is Hephaestus, um, which is is Vulcan in the uh, in the Roman, which is where we get volcanoes. Um, anyway, but um, I I just yeah I I just really like this book. I I thought it was really neat. The the whole idea that he put forth is really really neat. Does anybody else have any other thoughts on the book, or um, do we move on to the next month's read? Well, I do think crows and ravens are related. They're the same family, if not exactly the same. I think, if I remember correctly, I liked those books by Rohan. I thought, I thought they were interesting. Well, do we do we have a choice for next month? What uh, what might we be reading? Didn't we sort of tentatively pick one for next month, or did I remember that wrong? I can't remember what book it was if we did pick one. Seems like we had one for this month and one for next month. I'm looking. Hang on a second. I think I I think I wrote notes down about it, but let me look. You're good, Anne, if you did, because I think you're right, Julia. I think we did, but the thing is, I can't remember. And I haven't been a lot in been to a lot of the discussions, so I didn't know. I can tell you, I've got a fantasy trilogy on a flash drive by Elfrida Warrington, and I think the first book is called Elfland, and I haven't read it yet. So maybe this will give me incentive. Right now, I'm reading an anthology of stories called Dead Man's Hand by John Joseph Adams, Stories of the Weird West. I can tell you the stories are pretty weird, too. I think I should start taking notes from now on, given the fact that I'm supposed to be the leader. Hmm. Oh, I know what it might have been. Um, wait a minute. Uh, it says here, now for July, well, that doesn't apply. Okay, it says here, Anvil of Ice. Okay, and then it doesn't say anything else. But I think, if I remember right, we were discussing uh, whether to read um, the first in the uh, Lois McMaster's Bujold, the, um, the Sharing Knife whether we were going to read that. And um, I think we might have decided to read it for March. Does that sound familiar? I know I've read the first book by Lois McMaster Bujold, and I liked it. And I think it does, because we were talking about that, and then we were talking about the book you're reading, um, what was it, 36 Hours of uh, um, Fairy Stories? Yes, the Andrew Lang. Um, I was... I have been dipping in and out of Andrew Lang for uh, about three weeks now, and you know, reading a couple of stories, and then going on to a different book, and then coming back to Andrew Lang because there's 
however many hundreds of hours, I don't know. I mean, it's a long book because it's all 12 of his fairy books all in one thing. So, um, yeah, it's a long one. Um, but did we decide on the, on the first book of, of the the sharing knife? Um, I think we might have. I don't know. What do you guys remember? Because I sure don't, and I didn't write it down. Well, you know, I have those books by Andrew. Like, you know what? I just finished, Anne. I finished A Treasury of African Folklore by Harold Kurlander. And I looked at the, worked at the book the way you did with the, with the fairy tales. Um, I'd say it's maybe about, maybe five to six hundred pages. But that was an interesting book, too, if anybody wants to give a look at that. What was that that somebody said about March? Sorry, you were texting? What did you say? Oh, I said that, um, yes, we had decided to read the Lois Fickmaster Bugold for, for March, but I don't know if we still want to go with that decision. Well, I don't mind, because I've read it, so I can have an easy March. I can march all along the plane while you guys are reading and reading. <sighs> Sorry about the puns. That's what happens to me at this hour of night. I vote for the Buzel one. I suck it. What's it called? It's called Beguilement. And it's the first in the Sharing Knife trilogy. And it's by Lois McMaster's common spelling, the Irish MC, McMaster's Bujold, B-U-J-O-L-D. And I don't have a book number for Bard, but it's on Bard because I read it from Bard. And I don't know if it's on Bookshare because I didn't look, but it is most definitely on Bard. So, um, and it's the sharing at the, it's called Beguilement. Um, so, uh, that's the information I currently have. Well, yes, it is on Bookshare. That series is on Bookshare. And I can tell you the reader is Jill Fox. And she's pretty good. So I did read Beguilement, and I have the other books on an, uh, uh, an SD card. Uh, Kimberly, do you... Uh, I'm sorry, Kim. Do you know if uh, that's... that's um, what quality it's in, in Bookshare? Uh, I would think it's pretty good, but if you want to give it a look, you can find out. I would think it's pretty excellent. Their standards are pretty high now, I would think. Sweet. Then are we reading Beguilement, then? Why not? I've already read it, though I, I suppose I could read the second book in the series or something. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead and read the second book. It's pretty good. Third book is the best one of the lot, I think, but then, you know. Anyway, um, this is great, guys. Uh, is there anything else? Um, I hate to do this, but I'm going to stop the recording on account of. I'm fading fast. Not only did I go to Honeyway today, which is a which is an 80-mile trip forward and back, and I tutored a student, but I also paid my bills today, which exhausts me. So <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. Good night, all. Uh, yeah, I do would say if any of you are interested and if you can get it, those of you who have barred, 
if you want to get an interesting book, get A Treasury of African Folklore by Harold Corlinder. It's read by Ken Clyburn. It is not something you can read straight through. I know because uh, it took me a long time to read it, but it's awfully interesting if you're fascinated by stories and songs and all, everything having to do with Africa. It's a really good book. I recommend it. Our next meeting then is April 20... Not April. March 24th? Correct. March 24th. Same bat time, same bat channel. Is that 9 Eastern? Yeah. Well, Julia, thank you for hosting. And um, I I still think it's a great idea to have it to, uh, on um, on Tuesdays. I think that if you give it some time and keep advertising, you'll get more numbers. That's what we had to do with our science fiction club. We um, it took a long time, but we we finally got about you know nine, ten people coming. 